0: We're back at it again. I appreciate all of you that have been coming along for the journey as we've been chatting a lot about how we can take our businesses from adapting the survive model all the way up to growing our businesses during this, what well, we'll call it a strange time. Joined with me again is uh, Lighthouse Creative Lead and Marketing Director, Griffin Ball.
1: Hello, Matt. Great to be here again.
0: Hey, glad you uh, can take time out of your busy schedule to come and join us. Uh, excited to hear a little bit more about what we've got to talk about. Of course, some of our previous conversations have revolved a lot about the creating a new norm and adapting uh, our current business processes. And today I'm pretty excited because the conversation is uh, really about your wheelhouse today and it's, it's about talking about building momentum, which is Uh, an interesting way of putting it considering uh we call our marketing arm uh momentum don't we yeah
1: i was gonna say you're excited man i could talk about this for hours (laughs) and hours
0: well hopefully we don't put the people listening to this uh through that much time but if they if they're listening then they already know that i'm quite the talker so
1: that's not that's not the worst thing
0: let's let's start off i think um we want to talk a lot about building momentum and, and as much as that is, as a great internal marketing term, realistically um, I want to start with that phrase and just ask you why it's important. Do you think businesses be using this time to market and why do you think they should be working on building momentum?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to backtrack a little bit and kind of recap a little bit of what we talked about last time, um, building momentum now during this COVID crisis. I mean, I think that's probably, um, a huge deal. I mean, in order to get people to, um, prepare for the stay at home orders and whatnot, get lifted and, um, business is back to normal. You'll kind of understand what the back to normal means. If you listen to the other one, the, uh, the idea that everything's going to be kind of hitting the fan at the same time is, uh, scary for most, but if you're able to continue your marketing and um, kind of work towards um, getting back on your feet, and kind of thinking of it as like a um, a marathon where you're training, you know, you're if you're not training at all, you're not going to be able to succeed in that marathon. So,
0: and that's really one of the larger parts of our marketing philosophies here at Lighthouse is a is about uh, thought leadership. Is really the the term that we use for that. That momentum is built on thought leadership. During this time, you mentioned that what we're trying to do is that we're trying to make sure that people remember who we are. We're trying to stay in our clients' minds. We're trying to stay in our prospects' minds. Anything sort of more to add or actually probably clarify, because I think I may have been a little all over the place on that. Yeah.
1: Thought leadership in terms of uh, marketing is very cool because um, if you're able to show uh, the world, you know, we're talking about websites, which, you know, we are, it's 2020 now. If you're able to show the world that you are the thought leader in whatever industry, um, you know, if you take construction, for instance, if you're talking about um, proving yourself and um, proving what you know, then people are more likely to work with you because you're an expert. People like to work with experts. They don't want to have any sort of, you know, um, work that isn't done correctly or well or something that they'll have to get redone or something if it's a service. They want to work with someone who's an expert in that field. So that's kind of what a thought leader is. And sales and marketing are very close to each other. So imagine being able to have a sales call that is half, um, half as long as normal because they're not asking questions. You've already ed- educated them with you know, things like your blog and that type of thing, different ways that you can show yourself as a thought leader.
0: That is true. It's much easier when you walk into a conversation and the customer already knows a lot about who you are and how you do business. And they understand it if you operate under underlying philosophies.
1: Yeah, and I think that couples really well with um, maintaining a very cohesive brand identity. Because if you have a brand identity that proves uh, you know that you are a large company, even if you're small, people still want to work with a company that knows what they're talking about. Someone who's a thought leader. So your brand identity is just as important.
0: Very true. So all those big words, all of those big uh, philosophical discussions beyond us, uh, how exactly do we maintain? How exactly do we build thought leadership?
1: Well, it's uh, as everything in marketing goes, it's, it depends. There's always a better way to do things than uh, what you're currently doing. So I would say, um, you never stop building thought leadership. You always continue doing it, and what that means is you're constantly making blog posts, for instance, to prove yourself or to at least show that you know what you're talking about and educate people. So again, that those sales calls are uh, shorter. But there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, if you look at brand identity, for instance, which we kind of mentioned, you guys always use this same color. You always um, talk in this manner, or you always, you know, point yourself out like this. Um, that actually all shows you as a thought leader in some way, um, maybe talking about a certain industry. So for instance lighthouse, we're an MSP. that's a something that people don't always know what that means, but we constantly talk about ourselves as a managed service provider and that means a lot more than most people think. So if we constantly use that terminology, that does kind of give us an expert level thought leader in that sense.
0: It, it gives you some confidence uh, your client your your prospect or client gives confidence that you know what you're talking about. You speak authoritatively, yeah.
1: Yeah, and if we were to look back at the inbound methodology and using that as a uh, kind of a guide here, the idea that you want people to um, not not come to you as strangers, but come to you as um, hot leads—people who are educated already because they've read your blogs and whatnot—they you want to uh, have them uh, download something or, or have some sort of trade of information. So what that means is, um, if you were to be a thought leader then all the things that are free that, you know, you're kind of just giving away yeah, that, that adds some sort of quality to all the things that are gated content, things that people would have to fill out as forms, um, any sort of requests that you would make on the, on your site, which again, builds some sort of thought leadership.
0: Now I know that when you're working with our momentum clients, one of the first things you have them do uh, in the adventure guide is you have them design personas. Why do you think personas are important to the thought leadership mentality of marketing?
1: Well, personas are uh, probably the highest level of any sort of marketing campaign that you would create using any sort of inbound methodology. And the reason uh, you'd have to create those first, obviously is so that you can um, basically tailor any sort of campaign that you have towards a certain buyer persona. And what that means is if you have um, a client that you favor or you enjoy quite a bit working with they're very easy Um, they purchase things quickly they spend a lot of money that type of thing those are your ideal clients those are people who you want to get more of and it's a big world so there probably is a lot more of those people that you're not reaching out to so if you tailor your content and your offers to those people then there's a good chance that they'll come to you
0: i get it so you're trying to get the content to resonate with a very specific type of person that you know you can close the deal with yep that's it that's perfect so i know that for me this is a time where um, we've spent a lot of time over the past few weeks especially talking about pushing past our comfort zone how might we be able to use personas to push past our comfort zone
1: well just to be a little honest i mean if we were to talk about lighthouse and our campaign stuff if we are looking at our ideal clients uh well They're probably decision makers in those companies. They're people who are higher up, maybe even the owners of those small businesses. And we know that they uh, don't have a lot of time. Those are busy people. So we try and make things easy to digest um, and very quick. Those
0: are our kind of offers. If you are trying to get into a new industry that you've never worked with before, then just to try to start marketing somebody cold means that you don't understand their business. And if I don't understand, if, if somebody doesn't understand my business, then I, I don't feel confident in doing the work for them. So if I take a little bit of time, understand their business, and incorporate maybe I've got a persona, uh, an existing persona of, a, of an ideal client, but it's in a different industry, then I just need to do a little bit of research. It could be, you know, a distillery that's trying to convert to maybe making hand sanitizer, that in this process, I need to identify the parts and pieces that I already have a known persona for. But there's a unique challenge that I might have a product to offer that, that company. So it, it sounds to me, like what you're saying is is that the persona then becomes more important because it forces me to research that customer, and put myself in their shoes. And if I put myself in their shoes. And I, I walk their. What I guess I call the buyer journey. Then I'm more likely to create content. Blogs. Social media posts. Email blasts. Even advertising. I suppose that helps wrap everything in a pretty bow doesn't it?
1: Yeah. If you were to tailor any sort of content. To that new industry basically. And again you could have an industry that is parallel to that. So you may even need to just kind of redo a little bit instead of an entirely new campaign
0: or clean up current content or yeah, that's, that's really cool. So what are some things or some stuff that we should be looking at as um, maybe business owners or people who sort of are, we'll call them, we'll say marketing adjacent or people wanting to get started with marketing. How do we, uh, you mentioned creating a blog. You talked about media presence. How do we start these items? How do we start making these things happen? What do you think is the most important thing a business should do to get started?
1: Well, um, there's a lot of free tools that will help you get started. And I think we uh, probably need to take a step back from marketing and even just try and use a CRM. And using one of those is uh, going to basically consolidate all of your contacts, your leads, your current clients, anybody who's worked with you before. And allow you to um, basically assign those buyer personas to each one of those. That's step
0: one. <laughs> I gotcha. So I should probably take a look at who I'm doing business with today.
1: Yeah. And then from there, you can you know, kind of branch out and start thinking about, well, okay, this is my, my client base. This is maybe my ideal client base. And let's try and find a buyer persona that matches that ideal client base so I can try and find more of them.
0: So do I do I limit myself to just one or two buyer personas, or or how do I how do I get started with this?
1: Uh, at first, you should have maybe about three or four um, to kind of be able to differentiate them. You'll get to a point if you stay on that track. Uh, you'll get to a point where there's a lot more. You could have as many as you know twelve within the year. But never forget that you can have buyer personas that are negative, people that you don't want to work with. If you have a client list of people who, you know. You didn't enjoy, or any any sort of uh, client that is kind of not paid or you know not done a great job with you, or maybe you just don't want to have um, one time buyers. Maybe you want to have returning, lifelong clients. Then you can assign negative buyer personas to those people so that you try and avoid them.
0: That is true. That is something that when we started mm-hmm. our journey, we didn't even think about. But then as we started marketing, um, I, I know that there's at least a couple of negative buyer personas. And I feel like it could be insulting to share those. So I don't think we will, but, but it is interesting that, um, we do have, uh, positive buyer personas. And we have quite a few of those that range, you said, whether we are helping out, um, an existing and supplementing an IT department, or whether we are looking for a client that is just trying to automate everything and is looking for a service provider that can um, provide them with technical services and grow their business. Um, I, I know that we have quite a few of those, those different buyer personas, but one of the, the important one was, what was this maybe about two years ago? Um, we, we finally identified that maybe what we need to do is also create some of these these negative ones.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're commercial IT, so we really only work businesses. So um, any sort of residential work, that type of thing, I, I assign a negative buyer persona with. And that sounds a little mean, but it's, you know, we, we're commercial. We try and work with companies so that we have, you know, month-to-month billing. And these are people who need help quite a lot more than a residential person would.
0: And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not providing them with content or providing them with advertising sources. It just means that we we aren't really...
1: It's not where our offers are targeted. Yeah.
0: Yep. We're not really targeting them with our content, and when we do paid advertising or anything like that, we we are explicitly not going after them. Uh, it's a way for us to say, okay, if uh, you know, I'm in a cold call, so to speak, this customer. I already know that they don't fit our our target buyer persona.
1: Yep. Perfect.
0: I kind of forgot that we had done that, and I think that's a it's an interesting thing to to notate is that buyer personas don't all need to be great. <laughs> So, you know, we started off with these buyer personas and if we're talking a little bit about building and uh, uh, strengthening our thought leadership, we've got our buyer persona. What is it that we should be doing with these buyer personas? How, how, do we, how do we, if we're just getting started, what should I be doing to start building this thought leadership now that I've got my buyer personas?
1: Well, you can do one of two things. Um, you can kind of take what you currently have. Maybe you have a website that's already kind of going, maybe you have a small blog that's already kind of established and kind of decide on whether or not these, all, all this content that you have is going to be apl- applicable to where you want to go. So if you're saying that your buyer persona is in commercial instead of residential, then, and you have a lot of residential blog posts and things like that targeted there, then maybe you want to start uh, fresh. So you can either kind of start fresh or you can kind of um, use what you currently have. And from there, you want to establish a blog and blog kind of gets a blog kind of gets like a, there's, a, there's a stigma behind it. A lot of people say like, well, I don't need a blog. People aren't going to read that, whatever. But in terms of Google, Google is going to read that blog. <laughs> and there are things like uh, topic clusters and you know user experience of SEO that are going to make it so your website displays higher. So. That is going to be probably the next step, a big blog, start creating content, that type of
0: thing. And uh, I'm going to ask a loaded question because I, I know that we, we've discussed this sort of before, but it's more for a follow-up. The idea of where should we come up with material? I think that's the hardest thing that people have is where do we come up with topics for our blogs? What should, where should we start when we start with those?
1: Yeah, if you do a blog first and you're wondering what to do next or what what topics to cover, um, again, just put yourself in the shoes of your ideal client who has not interacted with you yet. So someone who um, maybe maybe it's even to the point where they haven't even gotten to your website yet. So then you can start thinking about what they might search to find your company, that type of thing. And you can always keep in mind that these topic clusters, and we'll probably get into that um, a little more next time, but... These topic clusters are big um, uh, clusters of content that are centered around one page uh, called a pillar page. So you can uh, basically sway those buyer personas to get to that pillar page by reinforcing it with other content, other blog posts, other landing pages, things like that. So for instance, if you are a distillery making hand sanitizer, then you're trying to get as much Um, people interested in buying that hand sanitizer as possible because that's really the only income source at the moment. So maybe creating a blog around um, how COVID has been affecting the industry and how you're helping out. That alone is a small step, but you can reinforce it with the quality of your hand sanitizer as a blog post, the process of making it as a blog post, um, where you're able to ship it and that type of thing. And whose case study maybe of who's helping out and that type of thing that you can support it with an offer as, um, those are all kind of steps to take to establish yourself and basically try and get that specific buyer persona that you're targeting to, uh, follow through and not become a stranger, but become a hot lead.
0: And I think, I think it's not uh, a bad thing to announce your victories. And in fact, I've been, I know on several, um, I've been a part of several phone calls with you in our client consultations, and in those meetings, I know that you have described it as it's okay to announce your wins, to let people know that you're here, and we're not necessarily using anybody, but we are celebrating with the community, and so if you are a distillery, in this example, that is trying to do uh, hand sanitizer instead, let's talk about it because obviously your heart is in the right place share that with people let people know that you're not just sitting around waiting for the business to come back that you're trying to do something that makes a difference and that you're fighting to thrive and i think that's that's fantastic i think one of the other things that i love about our when we use the blog post and maybe this is unique to my position griff but you know i I'm, I'm in charge of a lot of the sort of in person sales And I love that very often when we're working and engaging with a new prospect, one of the things that's important to us is to learn a little bit more about what their problem is. And what I love is that, yes, they may not have gone to our website or maybe they haven't even gone to our blog. I love that I can usually link them back something from our blog in an email and it gives them confidence that we know what we're doing because we've already talked about it.
1: Yeah. And that just, again, proves Lighthouse as a thought leader in that type of a, in that place, whether it's IT or momentum marketing or something other than that.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's a great, powerful thing that when we talk about thought leadership, it isn't just about warming cold leads. It can be that final conversion point for, for customers too. It's something that your sales team, if you've got an internal sales team they can use this tool to close those deals because you've already answered questions. I I know for me, uh, I like to take what are questions that our customers have for us and let's convert those into blog posts. I, I know sometimes those are pretty easy ways to start building, um, uh sort of some confidence in in creating a blog a blog series.
1: If you're going to take a step back even from uh, marketing in general and say, you know what are our goals this year or what are our goals in the next few months? Do we want to try and get you know this many clients on board or do we want to you know uh, I hear a lot actually um, clients feel that they are conveyed as too small of a company online. And a lot of people wanna to, want to prove themselves. Like I, I am a large company, we do great work, that type of thing. Um, and I don't think that's out of the norm. I feel like a lot of people think that the best way to kind of um, do that is to, to show off, just put on your blog a team photo of you know, everybody on your staff, that type of thing. That just kind of proves um, for somebody looking and researching your company that, hey, look, that's a, you know, that's a US company, that's a nice um, you know, 50 person staff that are waiting to work with me waiting to help me
0: well and it gives them confidence and, and besides it, it lets people see who you are it lets you see your team uh, I think that's great when people have something to visualize when they think of you um, visual nature uh, that that's that's fantastic okay so we've spent a lot of time about blogs and I apologize because I know you have so much more to talk about Um, we focused on blogs as part of our thought leadership and yes, everybody thinks it's about taking picture of your food, but really it's about showing off and it's about showing your knowledge. What are some other ways that we can build thought leadership?
1: So you kind of talked about announcing your wins and whatnot, but you know, if, if you're just posting that on your blog, it it won't get as much traction. Sure. People will be able to find it on Google, but where do people hang out most online? Well, it's social media, any type of social media in general. You know, you've got Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, even YouTube, Twitter. These are all platforms that people hang out at. They they visit often. They spend a lot more time than they probably should on, uh, <laughs> especially at work. And these are places where you can probably sell them, even if you're B2B. These are places where um, you know, an architect is probably going to hang out, looking at photos of maybe other people's work and whatnot. And if you're... You know, a building company looking for an architect to hire or something like that—that's a great place to advertise. So, don't don't just write off social media. It's a very powerful tool, and it will always be. Um, platforms may go in and out of style, but social media will always be there.
0: the The players may change, but the importance will still be there. And I believe I heard something kind of crucial. Of that is, it's important to be on all of them. We we know firsthand that we would think. That we should spend all of our time, money, and energy on one particular social media platform. But the reality is, that one is not our strongest one. Our, our strongest one comes from other places. Now, that's why we had to implement the negative personas, because we had to filter out some of those. But it is pretty incredible. So you, you can't limit what you're, what you're using, because a, a prospect is a prospect.
1: Yeah, and it, it will be very hard for um, quite a while to find out where they will come from first. So um, to start, get all of them. <laughs> it's very important to just sign up for them all, start using them all, and uh, or at least you know the big four, I would like to say. But try and start to use them all so that you can start um, being surprised, I guess you'd say. Because like Matt said, uh, you'd be surprised where the your, your buyer persona will actually be hanging out Things like, uh, you know, Facebook, you might think might be more B two C, but it B two B works there quite well has a company fit, uh, page and everything. Um, I find a lot of the times if I'm um, sharing stuff that is from a larger company, a community will arise just between the employees and the employer. So a lot of people will, you know, see work that they've done and really appreciate it and start sharing and get a larger audience just because of that.
0: Yeah, y- you know, and, and let's come back to. Celebrate your wins. That's your that's your employees celebrating their wins. They're proud of the work they're doing, and so if you're able to share that on a company page, and your employees are sharing, you never know whose circle of influence you're going to enter.
1: Yeah, especially if you're trying to do, I'll use the SEO term again, but local search engine optimization. A lot of people, if you're working local and you're showing off, and those employees are you know talking about stuff, they might have a brother-in-law that owns a company that could use your services, that type of thing.
0: So what other ways, I I mean, have we exhausted them all? What else can we do as we're building this thought leadership?
1: Well, um, you can definitely, uh, I would say, redesign your website. And a lot of people will be like, well, I just kind of redid my website two years ago or a year ago. Um, Well, that's nice and all. But uh, if you were to, again, step back and look at your buyer persona, put yourself in their shoes and try and make the site for them, not, not necessarily for you. Keep in mind your brand identity, but where do you think that they will be more interested in? What pages, what services do you, can you offer that they'd be most interested in? And then um, try and get them to sign up for something, an offer. Uh, maybe you have a case study, that type of thing. Try and get an exchange of information so that you can continue that um, that passive marketing. So once that's done, you can pretty happily migrate into email marketing. And again, that's kind of a stigma. People say, well, I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of spam emails and those are kind of whatever. But if you're doing email marketing appropriately and you have uh, if you're tailoring it to that buyer persona and you have their name in the subject line and you're sending them a follow up after they have downloaded an ebook or something like that, those are all uh, emails that they are kind of expecting and actually kind of want. Um, I see this with a lot of like music industry stuff. Um, If you're signing up for Spotify, for instance, and you get Spotify emails, I, for one, actually enjoy Spotify emails. I get to see when my favorite artists release new albums and whatnot. That's email marketing done right. Those are emails that I expect and actually kind of enjoy. So trying to tailor things to that specific buyer persona, trying to tailor your website to match what they need um, will actually help you quite a bit more than just sending out spam, you know, blanket emails to uh, like lists that maybe you could even even purchase, which we don't recommend at all.
0: Yeah, you definitely want buy-in from people before you start, uh, emailing them. Of course, like you said, you definitely want the email to be something that they look forward to or that they're expecting. Um, because at the end of the day, you want them to read that email and you want them to engage with the content that's inside. So I definitely agree. Um, and I also would say one of the mantras I know you believe is it shouldn't just be prospects that you are sending emails and doing marketing to, we should be looking at our client base as well, shouldn't we?
1: Yeah, most people um, tend to ignore their current clients more than um, their uh, their <laughs> their prospects. I guess that the current client list should never be ignored. If you were going to look at it as a um, you know marketing sales service kind of look, uh, the uh, attracting, engaging, and delighting stage should be there. So those strangers who you're attracting um, become prospects and they're, they're engaging with you. But when, when they become a customer after being a prospect, uh, you need to continue delighting them because they can become promoters for you. They can continue to, uh, get other people involved. They can create new sales from that, but they also might just be more sales. They could be a lifelong client who continuously uses your service or buys your product. So don't ignore those people at all. Those current, um, or past clients or customers. Are very helpful and can do a lot more for you than you probably think,
0: and that's definitely a problem that we had a lot of issues with um, a couple years ago, and and it still happens today. I won't pretend like it doesn't, but I know that Lighthouse personally, the hardest part we had was uh, we had clients that had no idea that we had certain capabilities, and so you would be responsible to helping. A competitor gain a foothold in your client base, all because we didn't market what we were doing properly. And so it, it was hard. Uh, the best example of this I have is, is IP-based phone systems. And you'd have these systems comes in and, and you know that they would pay three times more money for a solution that you had a great answer for. And so it was it was painful almost, but you had to keep your tongue tied. And, and it's all because... Not because the client made a bad decision. It's because we poorly maintained our thought leadership in that particular market that the client had no idea. They made a decision based on thought leadership, who they knew, and they didn't know we did it.
1: Yeah. And that can easily be remedied easily by trying to change your website to match the scope of your services, trying to explain yourself in a more simple way um, while educating them so that when they come and come to you with a question or something, or you know, c- talk to your sales team, they know at least a little bit about what you do. So um, I see probably the biggest issue with a lot of sites that I help redo um, is that they're flooding the navigation bar or you know, flooding um, the entire website with just too much information. But in reality, it, it, you kind of go through it and there's a lot of redundancies and uh, stuff that doesn't really um, make sense or even stuff that's out of date. So, constantly keeping up with your website, trying to make it so that, you know, here's our services page. It's pretty simple. You know, if you guys have different departments, maybe separate those, but um, even include things like a chatbot. Using a chatbot allows them to kind of funnel their way through your website or your services without you really even having to interact. So, for instance, if you're selling uh, products, but you also have services, if you have a chatbot, then they can interact with that chatbot and go straight into products instead of services. They don't want to look at any of the services at all. Maybe you like a car wash and you sell, you know, products. If they're just interested in the products, let's just show them that. And that's actually contextual marketing. You can actually, um, using what we use, uh, HubSpot, you can actually change your web pages based on the different things that they've done to interact with your site before. So if they're interested in products, let's only change the products page to be in front. So, you can pretty much take out all of the service pages and whatnot when they're on the website. You can do that with things like HubSpot, using cookies.
0: It is pretty amazing that you can do those types of things, though, uh, that you can you can have persona-aware websites even. Uh, I know that's on the almost seems futuristic style that I could visit a website after engaging with content, and then that website has customized itself to me because They've identified my buyer style. I do think it's interesting one of the things that you had, you had mentioned, that redundant content, I think people are under the impression that that helps with search engine optimization. Can you help us understand that that we if we have a lot of pages, then that means that we are a, a strong company?
1: Well I can tell you that more pages does not equal um, higher up of the search engine influential search engines like google and bing um, they all kind of share that same um, idea and actually in uh, 2011 i can pull it up it's uh, google's panda algorithm changed all that so what happened is they started using the authority model so um, like the topic clusters we kind of talked about earlier if there's a lot of uh, structure that is reinforcing certain pages then those pages will appear higher than any other page so if you have a um, You know, a page that talks about your car wash and that car wash is selling a certain product, um, but you you have you know a page per product, then those pages aren't really going to get seen. But if they're all reinforcing a product page that talks about, here's our product list. This is what each kind of does, like as a short little blurb. Go ahead and click, and uh, you'll you'll find more information on each. That pillar page, that main page, is going to be the the highest. So, um, taking away any sort of redundancies. you know, maybe you had a, a little blurb on each page originally where there was a navigation that had every product listed, but that blurb talked about each um, um, kind of main product scope in general. That, that'll that actually get penalized because it'll be uh, seen as spam, even though you might seem like, oh, I'm putting all the keywords in my page that might help out. It actually hurts you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you, Claire, because I still see this as being a predominant factor in some digital marketers' toolkits is that they, they create a page for everything and they feel like they need to describe everything they do. And, and I just feel like that's just the wrong way to accomplish it.
1: As of 2018, um, Google even changed the whole keyword idea. So keywords don't even really, um, I mean, they matter. They matter in terms of uh, headings and that type of thing to display on the descriptions of search pages the SERPs, but user experience is the highest form of any sort of uh, SEO that you're going to get. So your search engine opt- optimization, user experience is going to be the best. So what that means is there aren't many bounces. So people clicking into your site and then leaving that actually um, tells Google that they didn't have a good user experience. So just staying on your page, scrolling to you know halfway towards the bottom, clicking through to other links. Just any of those in general are going to help you. Um, but you can actually go even further. You can decrease your page's load time. That'll show Google that you know, you're a uh, website that is slim and uh, people are going to be able to get to it easily so that they can find their information. Because Google really trying to help the user. They, they care mostly about how the user is going to interact with your site and is it going to be positive
0: or not. It's pretty remarkable that they are... Factoring all of those different items in more than just what we did in the early days, which was, Hey, here's our keywords. (laughs) And then you'd have people market pages around keywords.
1: Yeah. So if I were to put it into like a Venn diagram type thing, you've got um, three bubbles, information, user needs, and business goals. If you are meeting those so that people can uh, get to your website and be happy when they're there, They've get, they're getting the information. You're satisfying your business goals, and the user doesn't need anything else from your website. That is good user experience. They've, they've achieved everything. You've achieved everything. You guys are happy together. It's a good uh, marriage, if you will. So that's a happy user experience altogether. Um, on top of that, though, probably the biggest thing, um, I think 2015 was the mobile get-in um, update for Google, is using mobile phones, tablets, things like that to get to websites. That is, um, since 2015 now, been uh, a huge penalization if you didn't have a mobile responsive website. So what that means again, is Google getting um, a website that does not appear properly on a phone, they'll penalize you because you, you aren't expressing your website properly and people are not having a good user experience on your website.
0: It makes sense, though, uh, how many people are using a phone or mobile device to access the web now. Um, I, I think initial research, I can even attest to this, at least in my own life, when I'm researching products or anything, I'm using my phone first. And then I might get two or three items where I really want to sit down and look at the product and deeper. So I may start. I, I almost always start on my mobile device, and then if I like something, I may come back and look at it on a on a full desktop experience. Uh, but it's it's incredibly important that a lot of these companies, if they don't provide me with a useful user experience on my phone, I don't. They don't get a second chance. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, look at the, if we're just take take a step back at the uh, look at social media again, it's Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Those three are very mobile uh, focused. Um, That just kind of shows you proof of concept that mobile is way bigger of a, a use case for this.
0: So I'm thinking a lot about what you're telling me about um establishing a blog, creating all this content, social media presence, maybe doing some email marketing and having this consistent thought out message. Um I'm lucky because I have a Griffin. Okay? There's a, there's a Griffin on staff here at Lighthouse, but even still, I feel like this is a lot of work for just one person to be able to do. Um I know that we don't do it alone. Can you describe to us a little bit about how we handle all of this work um, so that we don't burn ourselves out?
1: Yeah, and um, I don't want to make it sound like a product placement, but we, we use this uh, software suite called HubSpot. Um, there are different ones that you can use, but uh, we've, we've searched, and I think this is the um, one that we prefer. But we use automation more than anything, and HubSpot allows us to do that so automation again kind of has a little bit of a stigma but it really does um it does work when it's done right again kind of like email marketing and there's a reason for that because email marketing is heavy in uh, automation so if i'm going to um, use automation correctly i will be including personalization so if somebody is interacting with our chatbot and they're interested in our products that you know a car wash is selling whatever then we know not to really sell them the car wash service. If a car wash wants to sell their product more to that person, they know, and they can in their CRM market as hey, this is a person who's interested in the product. Let's send them this email. Oh, okay. They didn't interact or open the email within three days. Let's send them um, a a promo code. Hey, looks like that you um, maybe put something in your cart, your shopping cart, but you've abandoned it. Here's 10% off. So, There's a lot of ways that automation will help and uh, you can even get to a point where it's um, so personalized that it doesn't even seem like a robot, even though sometimes like that 10% discount, a robot automation can seem nice. So what I mean by the personalized stuff is uh, if you were to go a little bit more on the outbound side and you wanted to talk to um, a a big list of uh, maybe your past clients that you're interested in. We can kind of go back to that distillery who's selling a uh, hand sanitizer in the COVID crisis. If they were talking to um, people that they've worked with before, but they don't, you know, maybe work with now, they can send out an out, um, outbound campaign that basically targets all of those people to ha- say, hey, we've, we've switched over to making hand sanitizer. Do you need any? We can sell you some right now. But you can write up a small little email that seems personalized that, I mean, it is. It was written by a human that goes out to everybody and a few follow-ups that even get sent out if they don't interact. So if they respond, it can actually stop the automation process, make a task for you to say, Hey, this person responded. Let's, you know, let's talk to them, um, one-on-one or, you know, maybe not one-on-one social distancing, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) over the phone, that type of thing. But even to the point where automation can post to social media, if you wanted to announce that win, that hey you know we switched over to making hand sanitizer. You can just go into uh, HubSpot is the one we use and uh, basically write up a little post, schedule it out, and have it go out you know at the appropriate time that you know you get the most clicks because of all the reports that you get back based on your other social media campaigns. So automation is huge and going to help you quite a bit more than most people think. A lot of people think it's just a little bit of a robot, but um, those chat chatbots. Those are technically automation too. So,
0: And, and you know, we kind of learned a couple of fun things. We talked in the beginning, we discussed the importance of personas. And personas really take the robot connotation, the negative connotation of robots out of the mix. Because like you said, if we're using personas and we're using an ideal client or we're using somebody that we've identified, we can speak more naturally to them. And so the more specific those personas become, you talked about starting off with three or four, but as you build and and extend, you can really start focusing in on much more details to the point where, um, these prospects or your, even your customers feel so intentional about that email as if you wrote it straight for them. Uh, and, and that then makes that connection uh, with them. I, I think it's phenomenal. So even those bots can be based on that. And I think the other thing we kind of learned just this morning is that there's research that is coming out uh, that says that people love engaging with chatbots, that it's not a, it's not a negative thing at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a study that was uh, talking about whether or not, um, a generic form on a website has more traction than a form that's within a chatbot and the chatbot won by quite a significant margin. So the fact that people are more, um, intrigued by a chatbot and maybe there's a level of trust there that they may be getting the information that they seek they might be getting something from them the chatbot itself um, who, who knows but the fact that that works is pretty great and that's uh, automation so someone doesn't need to interact with the forum the chatbot kind of handles it
0: and and one of my bigger fears has always been that the chatbot comes off too much like a bot and, and there's research to the contrary that says that a chat bot that comes off as a bot actually may be more successful than a bot that is so well engineered it sounds like a person.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if, you're, if you wanted to get in contact with a company, you could probably call or leave a voicemail or email even. Um, but if you're looking for information, um, it's nice to have a chat bot that's there and can, might, might be able to answer it for you and you don't even need to uh, annoy anyone.
0: No, I think it makes. I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, I I love I love the sort of dynamic nature that a bot can add to a site. Uh, you're right. It feels sort of assistant, uh, you know. And and we've become so reliant on our Siri or Google Assistant or Alexa that a chatbot just becomes a natural extension of this this AI process. So I think, I think those are great. Uh, they're great to have. And, and studies seem to prove that, that they're fantastic for your website. And what they can't answer is wonderful that they will transfer it right over to a live person. So you can have this experience that's 24 by 7 and back it with a staff member if you want. Or it just sends an email and lets you know that you get back to them.
1: But again, that allows the salesperson to ask fewer questions. The prospect is more educated so the salesperson doesn't have to spend as much time so uh, technically and i've seen it before it saves the sales team a lot of time and therefore a lot of money
0: and helps you make a little more money too because that salesperson is answering less questions or or asking less questions and i
1: mean just kind of like how, you know, you order something on Amazon, you get an order confirmation, that type of thing. Those automated emails um, allow pe- for people to have less issues. They, they get status updates, things like that a lot more. So even on the service side, um, there's less and less problems. And it even helps get you more reviews. You could have if someone placed an order for something recently and, you know, maybe they haven't interacted within um, maybe three days or something, you can send them a thing that says, hey, how did you like the product? Leave us a review, that type of thing.
0: And I think all of that consistent, creates a, a desire of wanting to create a good customer experience. And so I, I definitely see the value to all of that. And those automation emails, no, you're doing that all automatically, but you're able to contour it to the person. And so it doesn't feel abnormal. feels uh, intentional. And that's really what I know that what we focus on for our marketing efforts is it's about intentionality. Uh, there is sort of one elephant in the room, I guess, that we haven't tackled um, that I know we get asked a lot about. And I want to know what your thoughts are about advertising, uh, you know, and specifically Google ads, because I don't really want to advertise on TV or in a newspaper. <laughs> let's, let's talk about digital advertising, your, your Google ads, Bing ads. Um, Facebook ads, LinkedIn, what's, what's, what's your thoughts on those?
1: Um, well, uh, as everything in marketing happens to be, it depends on your industry and it also depends on your goals. So if you're selling something and you want it to kind of get out there, but you don't really know where to go, then it might not be the best time to advertise if you don't really know what your buyer persona is. But if you have a great idea of that buyer persona and you know that that buyer persona enjoys your product. And you maybe even have the information to say they come from this social media or they're looking using these kind of terms or topics in Google, then absolutely. So, again, it depends. But if we're to assume that you have a lot of information, then basically trying to use a uh, analytics software or something that allows you to know where your leads are coming from. So if you're getting a lot more from LinkedIn or Facebook, let's start advertising using social media. Let's put the advertisements in LinkedIn. But if you're getting just Google, straight Google, then maybe it's a good idea to do Google advertisements. But let's let's take a step back and see: Are these organic? Like, where are these people coming from on Google? Am I going to be wasting money putting anything on Google because I get such
0: a high organic
1: click-through? So it, it kind of depends, I guess, is the correct
0: answer. No, that's 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 very fair, and I, I think you know our experience and what we typically consult with clients is during their first year. We really dissuade a lot of them from doing advertising until they have a clear marketing plan. And I think that it's always proven to work out well because the clients, they get to see this back-end work, and they still grow their business, right? Uh, I, I don't think we've had any client that hasn't grown as a result of it from their first 12 months uh, using HubSpot and the Momentum services. And we, I don't think we've ever really had a client that we have been unable to convince that they shouldn't advertise.
1: It's it's kind of interesting, but I think the, uh, I mean, I guess it's no surprise, but organic traffic is going to get you the highest quality leads. Um, and it, I read something recently that uh, it was the idea behind banner blinders and your age group. So um, but what the study found was the age group um, that was lower, so younger people, um, have a higher tendency to use their banner blinders and if you don't know what banner blinders is it's the idea that you are ignoring advertisements but um, I've seen it pretty often in real world cases where um, we'll put an advertisement on Facebook for instance um, and if it looks too professional people ignore it more if it looks candid and kind of um, unprofessional and you know a little bit more like a- homegrown let's call it homegrown <laughs> homegrown then it's got more, it'll get more traffic. It'll get more click-through. People will engage with it more. And um, it it doesn't sound true, but it it really is. People want to interact with someone who's being honest. It's a level of trust.
0: I think that's pretty fascinating. Um, And that, you know, there's a couple different directions we need to go when when we advertise. And that really our first stop is, that's usually why people engage with, well, I'll say us, but mostly you. The the reason that people engage with the Momentum services is because they want to start doing digital marketing, and that's really not the best starting point. And I love a lot of the tasks and items that you've given us to do uh, to get started on all of this. Uh, that if we're doing all of these other items and we're working through all of these, then we are in... Really good shape, and then we should consider doing some advertising. Uh, what um, What are some you know last minute because we're really wrapping up on our time, I think, here today. What uh, are there any sort of additional items that you think are important that people should be doing during this time? We're getting ready, ideally, to start looking at watching as the country begins to phase itself back in. Um, but we're not out of those proverbial woods yet. So do you have any thoughts or additional sort of ideas or things to share with, with everyone uh, as to how they can continue to grow their business and prospect?
1: Well, I think that the few items that we've kind of gone over, um, I guess few, it's, it's been many, but a few that I want to uh, come back to um, that you should be doing now is to get that crm use this downtime if there is downtime for you to try and um try and organize your client base so that you can start assigning those buyer personas to them because you want to try and market to those current clients or even past clients people that you've worked with previously and if you're not on social media then then get there if you feel like your website's probably not the best or even maybe do we've got a free um audit that you can do on our website it's pretty easy to find um, try and figure out if your website's going to be up to code for when all of this stuff hits the fan again. I mean, I think probably around mid-May, end of May is probably going to be um, when when things start really gearing up again. So uh, you might you might still have time to do a
0: lot of that. That's I, I think that's really fair, and, and I love the idea of getting yourself set up. You've mentioned several times get in there, take a look at something. The product that we use, HubSpot, has a free offering, um, so you can go sign up and get yourself going, but more importantly with that is you can use it as a platform to start looking at your client base today and start communicating to what you have now. Uh, don't forget about them. I definitely think you want to market to your clients that are still out there first because they're the ones that are going to help you immediately weather the storm, and you don't have to sell twice to them. They know the quality of work that, they, that you do. They know what you have to offer. You just need to tell them what else you have to offer. And so I love the idea. Getting started on a CRM, they don't cost anything. Like we said, HubSpot's CRM starts off at free. And then you can really go from there to start building and scaling. And and, and I would also encourage, you know, to take this time. If you have thoughts or questions, we'd love to be able to chat with you. Um, Griff and I are available. LighthouseSOL.com is Lighthouse's website. Go check it out. You can find out more information about our particular programs that we offer, you know, because really we're all in this together and we're, we're genuine that we want to be a partner to everyone listening to this and to our current clients. So check it out. You can find out some more information about marketing web design. Of course, if you go to the resources page, uh, we've got all kinds of blog articles uh, because what What type of people would we be if we told you how important blogs are and we didn't have anything? there's There's resources and and content available to you. Encourage you to check those out and reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you specifically get through this time. Really appreciate it. and And Griffin, uh, do you have anything else to add as we as we part ways?
1: Um yeah, I would just like to add the uh, HubSpot also has a free email marketing tool that uh, is pretty great. It's a little slimmer than their pro plan, but it'll get the job done. And if you, if you contact us, I'm happy to help throw together a template, um, try and import your contacts so that you can get going and start doing some outbound stuff, start trying to send some emails to people. So.
0: And, and we've committed to anybody that's helped sign up through the HubSpot free plan even. Uh, we'll help you get set up with it for free because we know that this is going to be important for you uh, to to start your marketing journey. We'd love to be able to have that, that dialogue. Well, I thoroughly enjoy this conversation i know i've taken quite a bit of of your time griffin and and i know that there are going to be a lot of people out there that are just going to be happy to know that this information is out there it exists and it it sort of it gives clarity you know i know when we started all of this it was very much a fog a cloud we had no idea where to begin and so this really i think lifts the veil of that it's not confusing. Uh, it's it's not scary anymore. And let's get out there and let's go sell. And let's let's go make the most of this time. Uh, because now is the time to thrive. Uh, we've, we've moved on. This isn't just about surviving. It's thriving. And so I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. Looking forward to... Actually, we've got a very special event coming up here real soon. We've got some details that are going to be coming up. Um, where we're going to be really taking and looking at... Um, these sort of concepts and smashing them together and really going heavy on them. So I look forward to being able to share more information about that as well.
1: Pretty excited. Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: Well, thank you, Griff, and thank you, everybody, for giving this a listen and look forward to hearing how you guys are doing in the marketing realm. Uh, Don't hesitate to give us a shout-out. We have all of our contact points, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of those do some cool stuff, take some pictures of you, tag us in it, let us know what's going on and show us how you are thriving in this current climate. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your guys' day.